The content in this podcast is meant for mature audiences only, 18 and up, as some of it may be triggering and are difficult to listen to. Continuing Forward releases Rest, Virginia Dixon, from all liability related to any response to the following content. Welcome, everyone, to the REST podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Virginia. Thank you for having us back. Of course. All right. In honor of April Addiction Awareness Month, humble servant Roman Sugden, a husband, father, businessman, and 15-year sober attendee of AA, joins us to continue the discussion we left off with Lily LaBosch. Hi, Roman. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Virginia. Hi, Lily. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah, Lily's back. Hi, Lily. (laughs) Hi, Natalie. (laughs) We're back. Awesome. Years ago, I saw this book, Addiction a banquet in the grave and i found the title so compelling that i bought the book and to be honest with you i never got past the title i read the whole book but it's the title that just gripped me because in one brief caption he summarized what i hear people just pour their heart and soul over that discussion and i want you to talk a little bit about this because you've been around it all for a long time what comes to mind when you think about addiction a banquet in the grave it's an interesting title i think that my experience with my own recovery and addiction and being on the front lines of addiction in Alcoholics Anonymous and also in a treatment center locally, that the person that is suffering from the addiction has basically left the body and soul. You're talking to the addiction when they're in that mode. And with that said, I think that everything that the human, the beautiful part of the human being is left to the ability to grow naturally the ability to help anybody else, the ability to tap into a positive spiritual realm, the ability just to do everyday life has been taken because of the obsession and the perception shift of the addiction is so powerful that there's really nothing left of the natural person. There isn't. It's almost like a possession. It is. Not to derail us, but I do think it bears mentioning that one of the most prevalent addictions we're dealing with now is addiction to technology video games, online games, and all these other things. And it's really meant to numb the soul. Perhaps numb the senses and disengage the soul from the person. And it's chilling, honestly. What in your estimation drives people to addiction? Well, I think you and Lily and and Natalie kind of touched on it a little bit earlier in the earlier conversation, the footprints from the past 
definitely have a lot to do with people kind of veering off uh, of the natural ability to be themselves and be comfortable in their own skin and find an outside source to, you know, just kind of check out. And I think that what happens is, is that, you know, they don't mean to, you know, throw their lives away, but things are slowly taken away when you start picking up a, an outside situation, drugs or alcohol, you know, you start... Or ice, technology. Or technology. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it slowly pulls things out that you don't notice in your life. And then as the addiction gains a firmer hold on who you are, then you really not even necessarily notice the things that are being taken away, but you really don't care anymore. And, mm-hmm. and then the addictiveness of the chemical or the alcohol or the electronics kind of kicks in. And then that becomes your, your whole existence. And when somebody gets in the way of that, then you push them out as well because it, it, it's, all, it's all you want. And then and on the, all the, the natural ability that a human, you know, growing spiritually, psychologically and mentally, and it just all kind of stops once you start that, that, that journey on that addictive part of your personality do you think it pulls things out of a person or do you think it pulls the person out of things for my own experience it it takes over everything that is good and especially the the disconnect to the real world and you start to you know live in your own perception and like i said earlier the addictiveness of the chemical or whatever you're doing starts to take over and you really don't have a chance and so there has to be some, some surrender and admission that I've got a problem here and I'm willing to take a hard look at it. And that's, that's what I found in my own journey. You know, I always knew there was a, a missing link in my chain. Why wasn't Roman happy? Why couldn't I be productive? Why didn't any of my relationships have any depth or weight? What is going on with me? So I tried, you know, psychiatrists and, and therapists and EMDR and, and nudist colonies and vows of silence. And I wasn't willing to take a hard, honest look at my addiction and say, hey, you know what? I'm a drug addict, I'm an alcoholic, and this is my problem. And, and I'm gonna do something about it now. And that means stopping. And not just stopping, but find out what, what's driving me. Why am I doing these things? Why am I doing these things to myself? What, why does this thing have so much power over me? And for me, I found that in the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I want to ask you something. What does it take for a person to face an addiction? I think they have to hit a bottom in many different levels. You know, financial bottom, emotional bottom, psychological bottom, a spiritual bottom. I mean, I hit so many different bottoms before I finally just surrendered to the fact that I was a, you know, a garden variety drunk drug addict. But each person has to find their own place and and for me i think just the human instinct of survival kind of kicked in i realized that if i didn't stop doing what i was going to do i was going to perish and that that really caught my attention because i'm too much of a wuss to die Mm -hmm. well it's really interesting because it's really interesting because one of the fund i always talk about principles and rest is about reasoning from principles And a universal principle is the first principle, which is to sustain and promote life. So it's a law of nature. It's intuitive. It's self-evident. It speaks to our natural affection. And the things you just referenced 
are things that diminish our life. And you talked about a gradual erosion. And I thought, wow, is the erosion internal? Or is the erosion also take place with things around us? Do we begin to disengage as well simultaneously? So we kind of disengage from everything that gives us life, from ourselves and from others. Does that kind of make sense? It does. What I'm saying? It does. And, and when you put it like that, Virginia, it's tragic because it's, it takes everything that a human being is and dissolves it. And the human being becomes this subhuman that really doesn't have the ability to tap into anything beautiful anymore or natural. That's right. It's just, it's, it's, the world just becomes wow. as big as the bag or the bottle. And there's this whole beautiful universe outside or the tech, of- Or the device. Or the device. Yeah. And it's devastating. And, and especially now with all the different things that are available to young people. At a young age, hooked on porn. We were mm-hmm. just talking about technology. And I, I keep coming back to technology because I'm seeing that I think it's going to trump alcohol abuse. I think it is trumping alcohol and drug abuse is abuse to technology. I'm kind of traumatized by what I'm learning about the impact that it's having on a generation and how it's completely disengaging them completely from their soul. And it's such a socially acceptable device. Moms hand it to babies. You know, at a restaurant, everybody pulls out their phone. It's just an acceptable Mm -hmm. thing, but it does exactly what you're describing. I have something I want to read you. But before I read this, I want to ask you, what is the number one, and and Lily, you might know this, because we've talked about this, about Robert as well, but what is the number one feeling that you think an addict is consumed by when they know they've got a problem? It's just such a selfish and self-centered situation. All they can think about is themselves. And And what comes with that? and, And what comes with that is they start to blame the world on their problem and they start to point the finger at their parents or their 60s or the stones or the the times they explain and justify and rationalize they're really good at that i was really good at that and that that kept me down that that could have killed me and i always tell people that you know i'll put that justified resentment on your tombstone you know roman really didn't get along with this john smith god rest roman Mm -hmm. sugden Mm-hmm. Because he just couldn't, you know, look at his part in it or they and take responsibility for it. That's right. Or they and blame, that's where right? the magic is. Mm-hmm. You know, once you can take responsibility for what you've done and what you've become as that addict or alcoholic or technology person, mm-hmm. then, then you start to change that perception and you start to realize it wasn't anybody else. I'm the one that made those decisions. I'm the one that did those things to myself and to others. Now, what am I going to do about it? That's right. And the feeling we're left with is a measure of shame or guilt, right? Shame. That's really the part of the addiction that it, it eats itself. When I'm doing those That's disgusting, right. despicable, despicable things to myself and to others, I have to not feel anymore about who I am. So I have to feed myself with the drugs or alcohol so I don't think about who what, what I've done. So until you get to that place, which you can find here, Mm-hmm. Are you going to get any real traction and, 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 and able to not just to stop drinking and using, but to, you know, start to change your life? 
So essentially you start drinking or using because you're trying to escape something externally. And then those acts in order to achieve that external release, you're now having to use that drug to then escape the internal. Right. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh. That is it's just a it's prison. There's no, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. No. It's got you by the mm -hmm. stones. There's wow. no way out. Yeah. Shame is the fruit of all of that because you realize you're trapped and you can't get out, and you don't want anybody to know. So you cover, you hide, and you blame. We talk a lot about that and yes. rest. But I, this song is amazing, and I don't know if we're going to be able to play it at the end, or we'll figure out a way to do something, put it up somehow. But it said that shame is a prison, cruel as a grave. Shame is a robber, and he's come to take my name. Oh, love is my redeemer, lifting me up from the ground. Love is the power when my freedom song is found. Oh, fear is a liar with a smooth and velvet tongue. Fear is a tyrant. He's always telling me to run. Love is the resurrection and love is a trumpet sound. Love is my weapon. I'm going to take my giants down. Oh, there is a battle, a war between death and life. There's a war between death and life. And the decisions to grab the drink, to pick up the electronic, to look at that site, to do that next thing that you know has you enslaved. And I like how you described that as well. It's chilling. It is. It's a spiritual warfare. And, and you always have to remember. There is. Thank you for saying that. It's I a didn't major, major set him up for that. But yeah. thank you for saying. Spiritual warfare. And we've talked about that. In, with Describe our time it. Describe it. Because you see my, it. My experience is when I am at my weakest point as a man and I'm not connected to the positive spiritual realm, the dark side wants me because I'm an excellent warrior for that dark side and I can bring other people into that dark side with me. Mm. And the dark side is death. Mm -hmm. and it's a I've, slow death of I've, the soul. I've heard them coming up the stairs of the building that I've been. You can mm -hmm. hear them coming for you. And, and I've had that experience. And I've been in a bed when I was not in a good place where they actually held me down. And you, you know, you ever been in one of those places where you're just held down, you can't move, but you know they're there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the other side of that is when you're, when you're walking on the sunny side of the street and you've cleaned up your messes and you've, you know, you seek to higher power, which is God, was what I like to call God, and 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 you don't have those that same lifestyle, and you're not dealing with those same people and you're not doing the same thing, and you're you're in a place of discovery and and goodness then that stuff doesn't want you around. Yeah, Evil has a name. Yeah. They have actually many names. And I'm so glad you bring this up because it's a delicate conversation and it's not one that people, I think, are comfortable discussing in a mainstream podcast mm -hmm. like we're conducting. But it is impossible to discuss... To deny that. And deny that. Yeah. To discuss addictions and deny the spiritual darkness of an addiction. What is the state of affairs? What do you see most common? What are you seeing? What are the trends? What are the changes that you've seen in the last 15, 20 years? Because you work with, you're very involved in the healing community and the recovery. And I'm just wondering, what has changed in 15 years? I think the, 
the saddest and most difficult thing to work with is the fentanyl, the young kids, the 16, 17, 18 year old children that are coming into treatment that have been addicted to fentanyl for any amount of time. The, the addictive nature of that specific substance is so overpowering. It makes heroin look like a picnic. Yeah. Why are they, who are they? Why are they taking it? Where are they getting it? What's the demographic look like? I, I really can't speak on that. I, you know, if you watch the media or listen to the media, mm-hmm. it's flooding in, you know, from the various places, but I don't really even think that matters. Why are people going to that? What's the payoff? And I don't think that people, especially the young people, understand what they're dealing with. I mean, we're talking about something that a grain of salt size will lights out forever. You're done, you're gone. And and not just the, the devastating part of the passing of a person, but I've this fentanyl takes people to a level of addiction that I've never seen before. They are so they come in, they have no idea how to look at you in the eyes, how to have a conversation, how to tie their shoes, how to eat a meal, how to have a cup of coffee. These kids are gone. It's destroyed their And brain. if you think that you're just going to take somebody off the street and put them in a detox or a meeting or something like mm-hmm. that, the chances are it's going to be a long, hard road. And I would say 95% of these folks do not get it. It's really sad. They need to be rebuilt from the ground up on every level because this thing takes everything from them and, and screams in their ear. They crawl up the walls. It's disgusting. What kind of demographic young is people. consuming young, young, poor, middle class, old, young, all across young, the spectrum? I see young Caucasian doing the fentanyl, coming from excellent families and that are educated people from good homes. It just does not discriminate. It's an equal opportunity punisher and it's out of control. Um, when did this fentanyl I, I've craze. been seeing it for about because, f- four to five years, yeah, I would have to say. Can I just interject for a second? <clears throat> yes. What I have been told, like as I said, my, my kids grew up in this area here. And what I've been told, because these kids in these more affluent areas have more money and they can buy it almost anywhere. The fentanyl? Yes. Yeah. But they have more money Mm-hmm. than some of the children in different areas of the mm-hmm. okay. country. So it's expensive. So, so it's expensive. It's not that expensive, but I'm just saying they have more money because, you know, like mm-hmm. some other mm-hmm. areas of the... Yeah. Um, I'm actually right. looking at the DEA website if you want me to oh, yeah. read a few of the things uh-huh. here. So fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that's 80 to 100 times stronger than morphine. Wow. So a lot of times it's Thank given you, to Nellie. yeah cancer patients actually for pain management. Usually it's applied in a patch on the skin, but it actually can come in a powder. And a lot of people add it to heroin to increase its potency. And sometimes it actually gets because it, it looks like it looks like a white powder similar yes. to heroin mm-hmm. so a lot of people end up actually buying fentanyl instead of heroin, heroin not realizing that it's something different mm-hmm. and it's more uh, effective so people get hooked even faster that's, wow that's really good information natalie and also the availability now it, yeah. it's, these guys run it like a business like a like a pizza chain There's a lot of money. and with those horrible telephones it's like a delivery service now i don't care where you are or who you are if you've got 20 dollars, you can get enough to kill 10 people yeah it's just and absolutely you enemy. know what there's there's a whole nation at stake mm-hmm. this is a war on us and i'm afraid we've opened the borders of our homes and of our lives 
and pretty much in every sphere of government to give this kind of really demon access to us and to our kids. I have to say this about the mentality of the youth that are using it, mm-hmm. that, that really yeah. just blows my mind, is that when a, when a group of teenagers finds a batch of fentanyl and one of the teenagers overdoses and dies, those other teenagers want that batch because that's the one that really, really works for them. That's the one that's got the super punch to it. These kids don't understand the value of a life, even their own. And that just tells you kind of not just the power of the actual chemical, but the mentality Mm -hmm. of what these kids want. They want to check out. They don't want to feel. Mm -hmm. They don't want to hear anything. They want to nod out and go to sleep. There's a reason for that. We've systematically separated the human being from the person. 1973, Roe versus Wade is when we began to separate in conversation the human being from the person. Mm-hmm. And it began way before then, mid-1700s, 1800s, and we're going to talk about that in later shows, but this, this train of thought has systematically infiltrated every area of academia. So you come from nothing, you're nothing, Everything's material and insignificant. Why not? And it makes perfect sense. So when the Supreme Court says, here's the person, and here's a human being, well, when does a human being become a person? You start seeing how systematically the erosion of thoughts, ideas have consequences. Yeah. And these ideas began way, way, way back, and we're going to do a whole segment on this because I think it's such an important topic because Francis Schaeffer called that the line of despair. When this kind of discourse began to separate the material from the spiritual, the sacred from the secular bottom story, sacred upper story, material lower story. And he predicted that by the end of the 21st century, the divide would be so great that we'd be killing our own babies without discretion, without even a thought. That's such an excellent point. I never even thought of tying all that stuff together like that. Yeah, we're going to have a big conversation. I'm happy to have you back to discuss it. But I want to begin to drop seeds of ideas. Solution? Yeah, so people can understand how we got here. Mm. Because I think, and Natalie, I talk about this so much in, in... you're the consequence yes. of, and the fruit of rest. And you saw how quickly the response can be. When people come into this place of rest, we're all about helping them identify the conflicts within themselves and the disparity between the spirit, the soul, the body. One beautiful thing that I find about addicts is they have no problem talking to you about the spiritual realm and the darkness of the spiritual realm. Because they've experienced and they see, and it isn't just because they're high and it's distorting reality, it's because they've opened the doorway to this other realm. Like you said, oh no, I've heard footsteps. I've seen things materialize. Well, one of the last segments perhaps we'll be doing in this segment is a person that I helped for two years deal with some very, very serious addiction, every addiction you can possibly imagine. 
and we encountered the demonic. We have names that I never wanted to know. Things I never wanted to deal with and encounter. But here's the thing, I had nobody to send her to. So this conversation about the spirit, the soul, and the body of a person, and the things that fragment us, whether it's in the field of philosophy, right, or in the field of science, or in the fields of physics, or quantum physics, or conversations we need to begin to have with one another. Because I'll be damned if I'm just going to discuss the drugs. Because inside those beautiful little broken bodies is a living soul, is the person, is a whole human being. And we need to do better. We need to find ways to resolve this conflict. That's a sto- that's, those are the enduring voices of generations, right, that speak to the triumph of the human spirit. People like you and I and amazing doctors and scientists and physicists and stuff, we need to find a way. And we can't omit the discussion of God. That's why I'm writing my dissertation on a view of God, philosophy, and psychoneuroimmunology, right? Laws of nature, self-evident truth that appeal to our natural affections. Why? Because this is the way we're going to bring healing to this generation. And, and the conversations are going to have to change, and we're going to have to learn things we never cared about. We need to start thinking deeply about these things beyond the drugs. Wow. Yeah. Was, was no, that too I much? I'm high-fiving no. right I'm sorry. now. Yeah. Uh, no, that was not too much. It was not too much? Was no. I know, I that get kind of carried away. Though. Natalie mm-hmm. gives me the look sometimes. No. Like, <laughs> But I think there's so much hope, you know. I'm sure, I'm sure not discouraged. I'm thankful. I think the face of evil is exposed on every front. Yeah. And I think we know what we're up against. And Lily, I've loved having these conversations with you. Yeah, we had a lot of those conversations, and I <clears throat> love what you have to say. I agree. We're all sharing this experience together, and just because it's not my child on fentanyl, it doesn't mean that they're not part of a generation that is in a state of confusion, chaos, and dis-ease over the incredible trauma yes. <laughs> that we're all carrying, Right from what's happened to families, to marriages, to their friends that are killing themselves. I look at Robert, and I thank all the friends that have reached out to you, the families that have reached out. Mm-hmm. And you're, by the way, I, I wanted to interject this thought, and Roman, you can speak to this because you know Lily so well, but she's a very private person about these things. So for her to come out and do this interview is a big deal. I agree. Rest is about inviting people into this space to discuss our common humanity with openness and all the things that threaten the life of the heart, the role of relationships, right? The meaning of these things that are stored in our brain and the distortion of ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And the value of our own story. There's purpose in our pain. So I hope people that are listening understand that the reason we're doing this isn't to shock anybody but it's all around us yeah it's not for shock and awe it's just to spread awareness it's to spread it's continue to spread awareness and to have sensitive conversations with each other because you're watching firsthand what this is doing to people roman yeah you brought it to a whole different level in terms of the the lineage there's so much more than just the drugs and alcohol and the and the electronics. I mean, it's a it's a generational thing, like you said, and, and we're just all breaking down and disintegrating. 
And it's no wonder why people are just so easy just to check out on every level if it's a cell phone or pornography or the drugs and alcohol. It's just that that's kind of what everything is kind of gearing towards now. And I never really thought about it like you just kind of described, which was brilliant. And I have to kind of wrap my head around that a little bit. I have to listen to this later so I can really absorb what you said. But when you were talking, I really believe a lot of the things that you're saying is it's right on point. Well, it's amazing with Lily, we were just talking about her father was a number one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Lily's a number four, which puts her in the number one slot. And we'll break this down later. Yeah. And but every one, four and seven is the same carries on the unresolved conflict of the generation that comes before but instead of looking at it like a curse you know what i love about what we do and rest and i wholeheartedly believe it because i've seen the result of it i've seen the consequence of it people have the hearts of warriors and eternity is set within the heart of man and you show them a path to light i don't care how much darkness is engulfing them Mm-hmm. The enduring voices of a generation will always speak to the power of the human spirit. And light will never, ever be displaced by darkness. Ever. I don't care if it's a little spark. Mm-hmm. Never. And sometimes the darkness is good for a guy like me because as dark as it was and, and how there was no hope or any future, now that I've you know kind of rebuilt my life and, and reinvented myself, if you will, and, and, and developed a relationship with God and, and have worked through all of those things that, that drove the addiction. Now it's like I'm experiencing everything for the first time on a sober and clean level. It's all in technicolor. It feels delicious and it's beautiful. And all of that darkness and sadness that I had to experience, now I know the difference. There's a, there's a comparison. Contrast. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah it's and, like without darkness, you don't know light. Right. That's right. And so I'm really grateful for a lot of the stuff that I had to experience um, and the men, on that level. Yeah, and the men and the executives and the people who are leaders of leaders and the demographic that you deal with this is really happening to all of us on all levels and i just i am so thankful for your work is there anything of particular interest that you would like to say to people who are in the middle of this cave and just do not see a way out I would. I would I would encourage anybody that's listening that's either suffering with disease or addiction themselves or has a loved one that is suffering to shine the light on it, to expose it and encourage the person to, you know, get into a, a fellowship, get into a, a group of other humans that are suffering the same type of situations and and find a, a recovery program and find a solution for, for what's going on and like I said at the beginning of this, I, I found it in, in the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, I had to just really kind of dive into that and, and have faith that it's going to work. I mean, at first I looked at it, I was like, this is so hokey. How is this going to help me? And until I really took a hard, honest look and, and was able to open myself up to somebody else and tell somebody else exactly what was going on, was I able to get any real traction and not just stop drinking and using, but completely turn that mindset around and, and see things in a different light, if you will. Yeah, you don't exist in a vacuum. You were designed with a purpose. Right. So I would encourage folks really to get into that. Alcoholics Anonymous, if I may. Mm-hmm. Uh, Narcotics Anonymous. Overeating Anonymous. Uh, those are just great. Pro- the 12-step programs are just so wonderful. And, and There's Celebrate Recovery programs Celebrate that Recovery. That's another wonderful program. Mm-hmm. 
and and really try to help somebody else out. There's always somebody that's hurting even more than you are. Reach your hand out, extend your hand, and and listen. There's lots of different ways to get help, but I that's what I found. You and Lily have a big story, and I know that Lily's been a big part of your life. She and has. you were the first person she called about Robert. Talk to me about Lily and your life. <laughs> so Lily was married to a gentleman that got himself into a pickle with a lawsuit and he was getting buried with attorney's fees. And I thought it'd be a good opportunity to loan him a little bit of money and, and, I, and help him and he could help me. And we did that. And then Lily said to him, you know, you really should stop taking the loans from Roman and show him what we're doing here in real estate. And she stood up for me and had this gentleman show me how to buy property. And because of her want and desire for me to learn something, and he did that. And then he and I became partners in some properties in Costa Mesa. That's so wonderful. And then their relationship dissolved. And then he threw Lily and I together. And and we became business partners, but we became much more than that. We became friends. And I, Lily's, Lily and I joke with each other that I'm better than a husband and she's better than a wife because we <laughs> don't have that attachment. But the situation that happened with, with Robert, you know, for Lily to call me on that day and, and trust me to go over there and to be with her and to, I mean... It, you know, it's a privilege and it was horrible. And we just, we were there for each other. We, we, we got through it together. It helped me so much. It wasn't just me helping her. It was a beautiful relationship that we needed each other. And it was weird. I needed you too. And we were open and honest and we got down to business and, and we cried and, and it was ugly. And we got through it together and we learned so much. And the fact that Lily's able to be here today and to help other people with her story. And that's a gift from Robert. And that's a gift from, from Lily to be able to have the strength to do that, to watch her come full circle and be able to, you know, to be transparent and honest about the pain and that understand that you're not alone. Other people are going through this too. And there's probably somebody on this podcast that goes, you know what? I, I've been there. I know that. I know what it feels like. And I just have a lot of respect for Lily. And Lily is a class act, and, and I look to her for so many things. And I'm just so grateful and privileged that she's one of my best friends. And I just want to add a little bit. Everything that he said, you know, I can only add this. Through it all, if it wasn't for Roman, I don't know. Between Roman and you, you were the two people that held me up. And you were the two people that helped me. Get, I don't want to say get, get through it, because I'm not done this is a lifetime thing that i'm going to deal with for the rest of my life but if it wasn't for roman and you i don't know what i would have done i'm so grateful for roman because roman's not only my business partner but he is uh, definitely one of my best friends the beauty of what you're both saying and i hope people are catching this is that we go through such incredible extremes to cover, hide, and blame ourselves or others, and to live in secret, and to suffer in secret. And I think that is the cancer that consumes us all. And we live in a time where often there's great pretense. And one of the beautiful things I love about the brutality that we're sharing as a community, as a state, 
as a nation, as the world, is I think facades are meaningless right now. And I think that's the beautiful side of suffering. We can show up and be our authentic selves and hold each other up because today it's you, tomorrow it's me. It's one thing or another. The fact is loss is part of our the story in time, right? But the hope is that we were meant for so much more than this. And I believe that. I've seen the fruit of that. And we hold on to that. Rogan, what would you like to people to know that you think people don't really understand about this time that we're living in and this level of addiction that we're dealing with? What I'd want people to understand is that these are people that are hurting. Yeah. And, you know, not to stereotype and to kind of love them where they're at and and try to... It's such a devastating chemical resource right now with the things that are out there. It's just so hard. And, and these families, are, you know, it's like when the families come in and drop somebody off at a detox or a residential treatment center, you talk to the families afterward, they're like, oh my God, the last two years have just been a living hell. We haven't slept. Yeah. You've been to jail. There's suicide attempts, the overdoses and this and that. I would just really want people to, first of all, take care of themselves, to be quite honest with you. You got to take care of yourself first. It's like the aircraft. You got to put your own air mask on first. But it's it's a difficult question, Virginia. I just... It is, but you answered it well. I would only add, while you were going through all those descriptives, I thought about technology. I'm telling you, I'm mortified. A friend of ours was just talking about being up north in the wine country. She was doing a, a 10-day fast. And these little boys, nine years old or eight years old, were talking about masturbating with technology, with their cell phone. And they were all talking about that. And she pulled over and she just had a talk with those boys and told them this will destroy your life. She was mortified about the consequence. And addictions will kill us from the inside out faster than any cancer. Thank you both so much. Roman, thank you from the bottom of my heart. We'll continue this conversation at another time, but I think it's a good beginning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week.